Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks, to be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to The Well Women Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to The Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Are you at the top of your game professionally, but feeling burned out, or finding it hard to focus on your goals, or unfulfilled personally? Or are you in transition, simply juggling so many things, you find it hard to take care of your own needs? Well, you're not alone. We all need to activate the four universal superpowers— These are the internal strengths and abilities we all already have, but don't use all the time. Superpowers can be cultivated, and they include awareness, intuition, action, and acceptance. Toward the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers, and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to live a well-woman life. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. This episode of The Well Woman Show is brought to you by Collective Action Strategies, supporting organizations that support women and families, and by Well Woman Life Movement Challenge Quiz, your resource for living your best life. If you're in burnout or major transition, this is your time to figure out what's holding you back from making the changes you need to make in order to live your fullest, most joyful life. The cause of all of our challenges, personal or professional, can actually be rooted in the lack of internal superpowers and or external supports. Our Well Woman Life Framework tells you which stage of the Well Woman Life Cycle you're in and what to do about it so you can truly live your best life. You can find out more at wellwomanlife.com slash quiz. I'm so thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico, a monthly green healthy lifestyle publication. And for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind, and spiritual inspiration for all. Hello, hello, well women. Giovanna Rossi here, and coming to you the week before our uh, Superpower Retreat and Leadership Summit. And we are so excited. We're getting everything ready. If you don't have your tickets, definitely, you. this is probably the last day that you're here when, if you're listening to the podcast on the day it comes out, um, wellwomanlife.com slash events. And today on the show, we have Suzanne Garber, who is, um, the co-founder of gauze, the world's most comprehensive digital network of international hospitals. And she directed and produced a PBS documentary called Unraveling Global Healthcare that highlights her journey to 24 countries and interviewing um, many, many healthcare experts and uncovering um, some of the secrets and uh, 
information about the healthcare system in our country, in, in the United States and in other countries too. So fascinating interview with her. And she has a, a long and varied career that we talk about and her journey, um, as an executive networker, she wrote a book called Safety Network, A Tale of 10 Truths of Executive Networking. And she um, is providing the free giveaway this week. So go to wellwomanlife.com slash 132 show and you can download that. It's a worksheet on networking. So if you're coming to the Women's Leadership Summit on September 10th, this will be very handy. Um, what are the kinds of things that you do or does networking, does the word networking just make you cringe or, um, what are your own networking tips? So join us in the well woman life community group on Facebook, wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to share your tips on networking this week. And, um, Suzanne is going to share with us her, superpowers for success, which are really interesting. You definitely don't want to miss that at the end of the show. So without further ado, here is my interview with Suzanne Garber. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Giovanna. It's great to talk to you. I am so excited to talk to you because you have so many things going on, just like a lot of us, Um, me and then a lot of the listeners of the show as well. We're high achievers who juggle multiple things. And we heard in the introduction a little bit about what you're up to, but I wanted to start, Suzanne, by asking you, what are you working on right now and how does it impact women's lives? Wow. Um, Yeah, there is a lot going on for all of us, right? So I have just come back from California where I showed my uh, short documentary, PBS film, uh, called Gauze Unraveling Global Healthcare at the um, Hollywood New Director Film Festival, where we just won Best Documentary Short Film. And we're really excited about that because what we did in our film was go to 24 countries, visit 174 hospitals, and interview 65 international healthcare experts to compare and contrast healthcare in the United States. And how we feel that this impacts women's lives is that even though the United States now has um, affordable health care through the Affordable uh, Care Act, there's still roughly 12% of the population that has no access to insurance. And even those who do have access to insurance um, aren't receiving the best care or they're choosing not to go because of the high costs and premiums. And what that translates to from a female perspective is that the United States has one of the highest maternal death rates in the world amongst developed nations. In fact, our death rate amongst women um, who are pregnant is twice, more than twice, what most industrialized nations are. And in our film, we really tried to bring to light some of the options that are out there for people um, in choosing their own health care, both in the United States and internationally if they choose to go abroad. So our film is one of the things that we've been working on. And as, you, as you'll soon find out, I'm very, very passionate about quality, affordability, and accessibility in health care for all Americans. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot there. First of all, congratulations on winning 
best documentary short film. That's awesome. Thank um, you. you. Are you going to be visiting a lot of the film festivals? Um, we've been in five so far. And, um, yeah, we've, we've got a couple more that we've applied to. and We'll see what happens from there. It's been pretty exciting. Okay. And then the, your introduction there about, about the healthcare system. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually surprised at the 12% uh, uninsured number. I, I, I assumed it was still higher. But even with that, um, as you said, the insured population has, um, you know, problems accessing care. And then when they do access care, they're at risk of dying because we have such high um, maternal health uh, death rates. And so I think this is a really important you know, point for women listening is that um, we don't often think about our, you know, I feel like, you know, the U.S. healthcare system get, gets a bad rap in some ways, but in a lot of other ways, people think, well, it's the U.S., like it's good care. You know, once you have insurance, you get great care. And actually, um, <clears throat> we have one of the worst rates of uh, maternal health care you know, in, in developed countries. So I, I don't think that's a point that a lot of people really take in and, and understand. And, um, and what can we do about that? So, you know, and I, I might even blow your mind with a couple of other statistics as well, because they kind of blew my mind. And it was one of the, the um, original factors for us to start doing this film. But the United States ranks 37th on the World Health Organization's list of of country healthcare, 37th. We are sandwiched in between Costa Rica and Slovenia. Um, so I think that's a really shocking number for most people to hear, 37. Um, again, we are the United States. I think we mostly think that if we're not number one or number two, we're certainly in the top 10, but we're not. Um, and, and part of that is certainly for cost, but part of it is for quality. There was a study that came out in 2016 by Dr. Marty McCary from Johns Hopkins, and no U.S. healthcare journal would publish it. It was actually published in the British Medical Journal. And he did studies on death records to show what the procuring cause was of death. So not necessarily that somebody died of a heart attack or from cancer or from whatever, um, but he did the procuring cause. So it might have been an infection, it might have been medical error, it might have been malnutrition, it might have been something, but the third leading cause of death in the United States, according to this report, was medical error, which again, shocking if you think of all the deaths by heart disease or by cancer or by lung disease or stroke, third leading cause of death. Um, and part of that too is because we are such a litigious society that there's a number of tests that are done on regular patients like you and me because doctors are afraid to, you know, make a misstep. And it's so unfortunate that we have this type of society that causes these types of situations. So um, in terms of what can we do about it? Because again, I just threw a whole bunch of, uh, of information at you and you're like, oh my gosh, what can I do with this? Uh, there's certainly a lot that we can do to become better educated consumers of healthcare. And I'm actually, you can't see me, but I'm quoting with my fingers, consumers because even though we, we do consume healthcare as a service uh, or a product, depending upon what it is that we're having done, we really don't relegate healthcare as a consumer business. And what I mean by that is I know how much something costs at a restaurant before I order it. I know how much 
food costs. I know how much a, a new vehicle costs. I know how much a home costs. I know how much an airline ticket costs. And even if we're talking about services, I get an estimate from my mechanic. Um, if I if my computer goes down, I also get an estimate on how much to fix the computer. If I'm buying securities, I, I know how much that's going to cost and the associated fees. We don't have that in healthcare. And so what can we do about that um, is we really can take an active voice and a grassroots level effort to change that. And healthcare is one of those topics that's always on the forefront of legislators' minds because it is the one thing that unites us all. We all need healthcare. And so the more that we can speak up to our legislators and ask questions of both our healthcare providers, who, by the way, are the best educated in the world. There's so many people that come to the United States for um, their education, whether that's medical or otherwise. Uh, I really don't think that there's any medical profession professional in the United States that's looking to do a bad job. I just think our system is so complex. And so, you know, the more that we as consumers can tell those who make laws about these uh, types of issues that we do want to be treated as a consumer. We do want transparency into both the process and the pricing, then that can certainly help us in the outcomes that we deserve. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot there. And so you go deep into this in your documentary, which um, I haven't seen, but I'm assuming that that's what you're covering. And, and you traveled to so many different countries to do this research why, I mean, so what, what were like the big takeaways that you found in, in, in your comparisons? The first thing was actually defining good healthcare. I think many Americans assume we know what good healthcare is. We assume it because we can choose a meal for ourselves or a cup of coffee or what's a good night's sleep or what is a, a fabulous vacation. But we really don't have a lot to compare to in terms of healthcare, I've never really heard anybody say they've had the best colonoscopy. <laughs> you know, I've never heard somebody say, wow, what a fabulous mammogram I had. So I, it really starts with how do we define healthcare? And it might be different for each of us. Um, there was a, a book, again, by uh, Dr. Maureen McCary um, from Johns Hopkins called Unaccountable. He actually looked at different survey rates from different hospitals and uh, I know he pulled some information from other organizations. I know Gallup has done some work as well as the Henry J. Kaiser Foundation to determine like patient satisfaction. And interestingly enough, in many surveys, patient satisfaction does not always correlate to a positive outcome. So in some cases, when given the choice of um, appropriate parking versus a credentialed doctor. Some people will actually say, hey, I, I, I chose my doctor because I could get in and out easily. So it was about parking. It was about convenience, yeah. which I kind of find shocking. But again, if we're not really educated on how to choose a physician, um, you know, one of the things that we did discuss in our film, um, we had the CEO from a company called Medibid, and uh, they're very transparent in terms of healthcare pricing. And he asks people how they choose their doctors. And I'll ask the audience right now listening, how did you choose your doctor? Any doctor, whether it was a specialist or primary care. Just based upon the people that I've spoken to in you know, the last couple of years in filming this documentary, about 80 to 90% of people say that they chose the doctor through the network that the insurance company provided them. This person was a network. And what they're basically saying is that they're relegating and delegating that 
authority to the insurance company to, to say, yes, I vetted this doctor, he's fine, or she's, you know, great. Uh, but really what that comes down to is just because somebody is in network, it doesn't, it doesn't describe anything to the quality of the doctor. It doesn't talk about that doctor's outcomes. It doesn't talk about that doctor's lawsuits. It doesn't talk about that doctor's um, ability to heal or fix you. It talks about that doctor's pricing model, that that, that practice or that hospital is included as part of a financial network where they're going to extend discounts to the insurance company. And I think a lot of people are not really aware of that. And again, they, they delegate that authority of what should be something so personal to somebody as their health um, that they're delegating it to, to an independent or uh, a different entity that has a financial reason to be engaged with that particular practice. But I feel like delegation is a choice. And actually, a lot of people don't have a choice in what, you know, how to choose their doctor because they have to choose it from their insurance list, right? Right. But even if we were given choices, how would we make those choices? Um, I know just, in, again, in doing this documentary and just having a somewhat of a background in, in healthcare administration, um, that some of the best things, because I know it's a question I get all the time, like, how should I be choosing a doctor? And certainly from my own um, personal medical history, I am a two-time ovarian cancer survivor um, and, and also an adult congenital heart defect survivor, I've had some very specialized and very serious illnesses where I'm just thankful that uh, I did have a team around me um, to help me. So I do share a couple of uh, tips with people on how to choose a doctor. So first thing is, if you have any medical professionals in your network, friends, family, uh, co-workers, church or synagogue goers, ask them um, because they are around these professionals all the time. Um, and they can certainly tell you who has good bedside manner versus who doesn't, if that is important to you, um, who has good outcomes. There's also a number of different internet tools. Leapfrog.org is a, is a great, um, is, is a great uh, organization that gives autonomous rating on different uh, doctors and hospitals and facilities. So do some research on the doctor. Again, you want to really look at outcomes. Um, and of course, if bedside import, uh, bedside manner is important to you, you just certainly want to um, ask around. I am not so trusting necessarily of internet um, guides because there's a whole uh, ecosystem that has sprung up for, for fake reviews. So you can't really trust reviews. I mean, I know Fiverr, you can hire people on Fiverr to write you a good or, or your, your competition a bad review for five bucks. So I'm not so much a fan of the online reviews because you can't really trust them. I do think word of mouth within your own network is, is very commendable. And then also there's a number of different organizations that offer up, um, I, I want to say compatible care, but it's even more than compatible care. It's almost like of a, of a health or wellness coach um, to, to have you um, get an advisor along with you. I know in the state of Florida, they passed a bill, I want to say in 2012, it might have been 2013, that actually requires insurance companies to pay for a healthcare advocate to come alongside you when you've been given a serious diagnosis um, and for doctors to permit that third party to come with you. And so even if you're not in the state of Florida and you're in another state and you want a healthcare advocate with you, bring that person because that person is going to be an objective listener for you to hear things that you and your emotional state are not going to be able to pick up. Um, 
And if you can have, again, I know, again, in Florida, there's a number of different nursing organizations that cater specifically to this, but there's also other organizations around the country. You can just type in healthcare advocate for your state or your city to see who are some of these people that can come alongside you that know what kind of questions to ask. Okay. That's, those are some really good tips. And Suzanne, I want to ask you, um, just in terms of making this documentary, uh, what, what did that look like for you? I mean, you traveled to so many countries, did so many interviews. First of all, you know, how, how did you get, like, how did that happen? Uh, And like, how did, so like, how did it happen, you know, logistically, but also how did you make that happen in your life? Like to, to go and do that. So I will first say, I am not a filmmaker. I've never had any formal training. I've never gone to school for this. I um, had just left my position at an international healthcare organization and wanted to stay relevant in the field. Um, But I knew that I wasn't able to work in that field for um, a period of time. And I thought, well, how can I still stay relevant and current and active and keep up my network? I'll I'll film a movie. But also beyond that, I had gotten, um, I had just found out like maybe six months prior that I had a congenital heart defect. Never knew I had it, had gone through cancer, had gone through all these other things in my life and um, was now facing open heart surgery to fix something I was born with. And I never knew I had. And so while I was lying in the hospital bed for several weeks, um, I was out of work for about two or three months and in rehab and just trying to get my life back in order from something again, just totally took me, you know, off my feet, literally and figuratively. And I thought, wow, I've been so blessed and so privileged to know where to go to get this amazing care and probably more importantly, where not to go how can I share that with others? Because there's got to be people, and I know there are, they're in my family, they're my friends, who who would not have known where to go to get such specialized care, um, especially for something that's so life-threatening and serious. So that was kind of my, my, the impetus for my thought is I want to do something that's going to help other people. Again, I've been so blessed and so privileged. So that was really the impetus for it. And then planning this out, it, it was a chore. It was really a chore. So, you know, my, my original background professionally is in logistics and I travel quite a bit. I've been to 101 countries. I've lived in eight countries as an expat. Um, I grew up overseas. I have dual nationality. It's fair to say I like to travel. And so again, having worked in an international healthcare setting and having so many different contacts who were already CEOs of hospitals or prominent surgeons or um, editors of medical journals, I, I really just wanted to harness the power of my network to help other people to make decisions about their healthcare. Uh, I don't say, you know, this is what you should do. I just provide the information for people to make an educated decision on something that is so life changing for them, which is their healthcare uh, choices. So, so a lot of time, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, so I just want to ask because I, I think that it's great that you're providing all this information, but then there's the whole issue of, okay, once you have the information, it's still not an equal playing field because some people, because there are structural and social, you know, issues that limit uh, people's access, even if they have the information based on where you live, how what your income is, perhaps, you know, what your race is, what your gender is. So how, how about those things? Yeah, I totally agree with you. This is not an easy system, um, which is why I am such an advocate for grassroots change. 
at a legislative level. So I can share with your um, listeners that there's there's a couple of change.org survey. I guess they're not necessarily surveys. I guess they're more petitions um, designed to go to uh, legislators and even the president on how to change healthcare. I know there's one by um, uh, Stephen Weissman that has several hundreds of thousands of, of signatures. We started one and then we merged um, with, with Mr. Weissman, who is an attorney and a former hospital CEO, to bring about more transparency in our system because it is so complex. Uh, there's a single payer system for Medicare and for uh, for the VA system. Uh, my husband is a disabled veteran. He will tell you that the VA is not ideal. Um, and then we have, uh, you know, the private pay market. We have an employer pay market. We have an independent pay market. Yeah. It's a really, really complex system. Why can't it be more streamlined a la Switzerland or a la France or a la Singapore? There's so many different countries. And I will say, and I'm going to say this, you know, very publicly, there is no one panacea for healthcare around the world. I can't say that Singapore has the best system. There's a couple of issues with transparency in Singapore. I can't say that Switzerland has the best issues, uh, the best uh, healthcare either. I can't say that France has the best healthcare. Um, I do want to point out when every, when not everyone, but when many people say, oh, we need a, a universal healthcare, we need a, a socialist uh, form um, because it's free. Let's be clear, someone's paying for this. I don't know of any doctor that's gonna work for free. Somebody's paying for it and if you pay taxes, that's you. So let's let's be very thoughtful about how we're going to do this. But there's 200 other countries out there and certainly 36 other countries that do it better than the United States. What can we learn from them? And that's really what our, our film points out is what are other countries doing? What are they looking at? A lot of other countries look at the proactive approach to healthcare as opposed to the very reactive approach that we have here in the United States. We're great with reactive. We're great with trauma. We're not so great with proactive and preventative healthcare. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you mentioned about the legislation and the policy and the advocacy because I think that uh, that my audience is very, um, you know, really wants to make an impact and wants to make a difference. And sometimes it's overwhelming. And it's like, what do I do? So you can go to change.org and you can look for those petitions. We'll we'll put a link in our show notes as well uh, from Suzanne. And um, it's, it's super important to get involved and not just, I mean, it, it's really easy to, to be completely frustrated and overwhelmed with politics and policy right now. But I myself have a policy background and I just think that we can't turn a blind eye. Like we have to stay engaged. And whatever that means for you listeners right now, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to burn yourself out with it and, and put yourself uh, your own health at risk by, by, you know, opening yourself up to so much um, negativity and just all of the, the stuff that's going on. But what it does mean is that you can set time aside to do very specific actions and then, you know, hopefully um, not be overwhelmed and burned out by it all. So we'll link to that, um, to, to those things in the show notes. Um, and did you want to say anything else about that, Suzanne, before we move on to the next segment? No, you, you can tell I'm really passionate about healthcare yeah. and improving healthcare in this country. We deserve it. Yeah. Okay, great. All right. So um, I'm speaking with Suzanne Garber and for the Superpowers for Success segment. And Suzanne, I want to ask you, first of all, what does success in life mean for you? I have carried with me this card in my wallet since college. 
And I'm going to read it to you because it is the definition of success to me. It's by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And it says to laugh often and much to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the best in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch or a redeemed social condition to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived that is to have succeeded. And that's been the definition of success I've carried with me in my wallet since college. Oh my God. I love that. Okay. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot there. And so you, you must look at that often and, and really take the, and really try to make those things happen in your life. I try. I, I try. I think we all try. Uh, whether it actually happens every day, it probably doesn't happen when I'm driving in my car on the expressway and I'm angry. So, <laughs> right. Um, well, we have different practices to help you with that, like <laughs> uh, mindfulness practice and exactly. Um, but okay. So, when did you know you were really good at what you do? I don't know if I ever know I'm really good at what I do. I think it's why I continue to develop my skills and get better. It's why I'm always in some type of a class and learning from others and meeting other people and asking them how they do things better. So I don't know if it, if I ever get to that point where I think, hey, I'm really good at this because uh, I, I always want to try for more. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I think that we can... I think that we can be lifelong learners and not ever settle into, you know, just like, okay, like I've arrived. Um, but I do think that as professional women, we have moments in our lives when we know, like we have a gut feeling or, or sometimes it's an external validation of someone telling us, but, but a lot of times it's internal where we just think, okay, like I totally got this. Did you, do you have a, a moment that you can share like that? I don't think it's anything necessarily that where it's just been one moment. I think it's been a series of moments that have really validated who I am as a leader. And my leadership capabilities came out when I was pretty young. Uh, I was always like a captain of some type of sports team or um, student body president or running for something within student government. I knew I had an ability to lead other people based upon my vision, based upon my ability to articulate what the mission is. And I really enjoy working with a team. And that's really just been compounded over the years. So my, the, my early part of my profession, I was in the logistics space and um, ended up being in charge of an entire continent uh, for uh, a very large multinational international um, logistics company. Loved, loved, loved every moment of being there and getting progressively, increasingly um, more responsible positions. And I would have to say living in Brazil and working with multicultural, multinational and multilingual teams, uh, very diverse teams across all the countries in, in South America was really key for me. So it wasn't necessarily one day. But it was, um, it, I think it was just a lot of different moments that really validated who I was as a leader, as a communicator, um, and just as a person. I enjoy being around people and leading them toward a greater mission. Yeah. Okay, great. And uh, when are you going to run for office? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I don't actually ask people that all the time, but I just, I just think, like, 
that you might be headed that way? Um, you know, I was a poli sci major. I, it was something I might have been interested in when I was younger, but it's just become so contentious in this country. Um, and I am a registered independent. Um, so maybe I'm part of the problem too, but I can't, I just, yeah, next. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, Suzanne, you clearly have a lot going on, like just to be able to like pull off a, a documentary at that level. What do you do on a daily basis that contributes to your own well-being? Hmm. I have um, I have two things. One is uh, I pray. I consider myself a woman of faith um, and, and not just because like I'm a certain religious sect or something. I just I have a relationship with with my God and I pray and that seems to ground me um, quite a bit. And the other thing is I have an incredibly fluffy uh, Siberian Husky whom I love and I walk him a lot. Of course he's a Husky. So he needs like four to five miles of walking every day and just being outside in nature and being around the dog. And uh, I know that sounds really cheesy, but if you're a dog person, you'll totally get it. Um, so praying and um, walking my dog really seemed to contribute a lot to my, my well being. And um, he's actually the fourth Husky that we've had because unfortunately dogs don't live long enough. Uh, but uh, I know that when I'm without a dog, I, I get a little blue. So I love having I love having a a, a, a a pet companion. Yeah, you know that's that's interesting. A lot of other people have mentioned that kind of thing, but but usually or or other things. But usually the the thing that ties it all together is it's a sort of a getaway. It's a meditative state that you can get into when you're out walking or cooking or you know some of the other examples that other guests have given. But um, yeah, that's definitely an important things to incorporate in your daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, so what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? Hmm. I am globally curious. And what that means is you can drop me in almost, almost every, any country and I'll be fine. Um, very adaptable. I think it was because I, I grew up overseas. My father made a decision after getting out of the service. He was in the air force that he wanted to um, pursue a career outside of the United States. And so I actually grew up in Africa, Europe, and Latin America until I got into like my later years of high school when my dad was worried that I might not assimilate so well going to college in the States. So I appreciate that he did that. And because of that, I've got this global love affair with the world. I, I just love hopping on a plane with a backpack. Um, my husband, um, it's so funny cause my husband laughs at me cause I really will go with basically my toothbrush and my, my night guard, my retainer and I'm okay. And a passport, of course I need a passport. And my husband's like, Suze, you're so low maintenance, you're high maintenance. Cause then he has to pack everything that I forgot. Um, <laughs> but I, I just love just hopping on a plane and going someplace. Um, and I love giving that gift to other people as well. So my, um, two of my nieces just graduated from high school this, this year. And for their, their graduation presents, we, we went over to Europe and, and kind of backpacked and, you know, saw the sites. And I just love seeing that because there's no greater classroom than the world. And people to get outside of even their city, their state, their country, and see how other people live, see how welcoming other people are. You know, we all bleed red. 
we're all the same. So I just love meeting other people. I love tasting new cuisines. I love just finding out, you know, hey, what is what is Myanmar like? What is Cambodia like? What is Bolivia like? Um, yeah, so having that global curiosity was probably there all along, or at least cultivated by my parents. But um, yeah, I think it's something that's kind of unique because not everybody can do that. And there's, I, I know a lot of people who are just like, tr- you know, trepidations of yeah. leaving the United States. Yeah, like, the United States. Yeah, there's nothing quite like the feeling of um, independence and and just n- being with yourself when you're when you're going on a trip like that. Like you've yeah. got, you've got you and whatever luggage you have, and if you're a light traveler, which I have become, uh, yeah, it's just it's very freeing. And mm-hmm. I also have dual nationality, by the way, so I, I really hear a lot of what you're saying. And uh, I traveled a lot as a as a kid and, and as an adult too now. And we take our kids, we've been traveling with our kids, you know, since they were babies. And it's like, you know, I tell some people that and they look horrified, like, Oh no, traveling with kids, but it's so fun. And the kids love it. And they're great travelers. Now they, nice. you know, they care. They take their own little suitcase. Everyone has a carry on. We get on, we get off. It's super easy. Nice. Uh, I say that. I mean, it's not always super easy. There, are, you know, uh, other things obviously happen and come up, and it's you know, it's traveling, right? But but they're resilient. Like if something happens and we get delayed, you know, it, it's like you deal with you know, deal with it. It's life. So um, I love that global curiosity. Okay, um, what advice, Suzanne, would you give your younger self, like ten, fifteen, or even twenty years ago? Um, the first one I think is taking calculated risks. Women, and I, I, I don't want to characterize all women. I'll speak for myself. There were sometimes I was scared to make a decision on something, or I was scared to choose, you know, one particular way. And I think now that I'm older, you know, having looked at the way my career has gone. And I actually did take risks. I actually moved quite a bit in my career. I was in a, in an industry that was mostly male dominated logistics. Um, but I think it was really important for me to move. And I know that that, that meant giving up something, you know, with any decision you make, there's going to be a sacrifice because by you choosing one way, you're automatically not choosing the other ways that are available. So I know for me and moving quite a bit and taking that risks of of putting myself out there for different promotions, it meant that I probably wasn't going to have as robust um, uh, uh, a social life or, you know, I wasn't going to be, you know, the, the mom at the PTA, um, you know, making all these different meetings, but it, that was a choice that I made. So I would just say taking calculated risks and not playing it safe all the time. Um, again, I, I could have done that. And maybe in some cases I did. And I always regretted when, when I didn't make the more bold leap and I'm all about not having regrets. So take the calculated risks. And I put calculated in there so that you're not just, you know, jumping blindly off of a cliff. You're actually determining, you know, what are some of the risks involved in that? Um, the second thing I'd say is find a mentor that has been so, so helpful to me throughout my career. And you're probably not going to have the same mentor all the way throughout your career. Uh, and I have mentors for different things. Um, I have mentors for my spiritual life. I have mentors for my professional life. I have mentors within different segments of my professional life. When I was at first, you know, a young manager, and now that I run my own company, and now that I have, you know, a production company as well for films, I mean, I've got different mentors of different kinds, which means that I've had to augment my network quite a bit. And then the last thing I would say is to include your family on your decisions. 
that was something that I made a very conscientious effort that nothing was going to be worth my marriage or cost me my marriage, that my marriage was my first priority. And so with every decision and my husband and I have moved, gosh, I want to say like 12 times in 16 years, almost 17 years. Uh, we did not go any place without, you know, his input. And there was actually, in some cases, I didn't want to go to Brazil. Actually he did. And, you know, I, I went kicking and screaming, but it was probably one of the best experiences of my life. So involve your family uh, if that is important to you. And I, I don't know if we mentioned it necessarily, but um, I did write a book on networking and I interviewed 112 CEOs and the number one regret of, of those CEOs, not all of them, but a majority of them was the lack of participation by their family, where many of them were divorced. They no longer had relationships with their children because they made decisions that that cast them aside. And so, you know, if you, you say no to somebody so many times they're they're going to go away. And that's what I heard loud and clear. And that's you know something I've made a decision for me that my marriage comes first and we're going to do things as a team. Oh, yes. I love that. Okay. And your book is called Safety Network, A Tale of Ten Truths of Executive Networking. And we are going to have a couple of those actually available for giveaways at our Well Woman Superpower Retreat in September, if you're listening to this, when this is going to go out. Um, So definitely want to get your hands on one of those. So thank you for that, Suzanne. And um couple of last quick questions here. Do you identify as a feminist? You know, feminism is so tinged politically. I, and as I mentioned, I'm a registered independent. So um, I am for the advancement of women. I am for equal pay. I think there's a huge gender pay disparity, um, not just in the United States, but around the world. Um, I am definitely for the advancement of women. And I think, you know, throughout my career and having been very fortunate to climb that corporate ladder and been given opportunities, you know, I'm very much for that. Um, Am I for, you know, the type of feminism that bashes men? No, I don't think that's respectful either. So I'm for the advancement of women. Okay, great. And um, for the record on my show, feminism is not about bashing men. (laughs) It's a, it's about working towards social, political, and economic equality. So um, just wanted to put that out there. And I, I love asking this question because so many women leaders have different perspectives on the word. And usually when we dig into it, every, you know, everyone's actual beliefs are pretty much the same, that they're for the advancement of women and equality. Uh, but it's just how we label it is the sticking point right now. Yeah. So, um, Suzanne, last question. What are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? So I'm actually um, in a book club with a number of amazing women. And the book that we are currently in, we're winding down. Actually, next week is our last week together. And it's called Anything by Jenny Allen. And it's a book about how just giving up your life to God and being open to whatever is in front of you. um, Because I know that. Some of us in our group, and particularly me, have a way of like trying to manipulate life into what we want. And by forcing our choices too much, 
can actually inhibit what really is out there for you. So if I'd had my way, I would have totally missed that amazing experience in Brazil. If I'd had my way, I wouldn't have been filming a documentary. I wouldn't have written a book. I wouldn't have done half the things in my life. But being open to anything that comes across your way and really kind of going down that rabbit hole and seeing hmm, what's down there can be extremely exciting and rewarding. Mm, I love that. That's a great note to end on. Uh, Suzanne, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me, Giovanna. That's it for our show today. Remember, if you need support to live your Well Woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Woman Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week. Mm-hmm.